You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. In Matthew 6, Jesus says these very famous words, some of the most famous words from the Gospels. When on the Sermon on the Mount, he taught his disciples how to pray. He said, pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today I went with the older King James, thy, instead of your. Actually, it's uh, not from 1611, the King James, where it's thy will be done. It's actually uh, exactly the same turn of phrase in this section of scripture was used by John Wycliffe and the Lollards in the mid-1300s. So uh, these are very familiar in old words to Christians. So for the last two-thirds of a millennia or more, we've been saying thy will be done. And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to talk about that this morning. How these things should be the same. And how these things uh, can be uh, uh, in our lives uh, the same. uh, That we're to seek and pray for God's kingdom on earth and God's reign over all things. Again, that was Matthew 6.10. We have this passage from Ephesians 1 which sums up the rule of, of God through Christ. It said, He made, uh, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, And things upon the earth. And so the summing up of all things in him on heaven and earth. And that's where we want to stand. We want to stand with him who stands astride both heaven and earth. The one who uh, was uh, the the king of heaven. uh, uh, The one who came and was a savior on earth. And it's very much... The same Jesus, of course, in heaven and earth. It's the same Jesus because he's pre-incarnate. Some of the heretical theories have Jesus being created, not being there for eternity. The one who came to be with us at some place in the past did not exist in their heretical theories. But the same Jesus, the one from the very beginning, the one from before the beginning, that is the one who came to be with us, Hebrews says, Hebrews 1.3. He's the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he came from the majesty on high. He came to be with us. He went back and he's with the majesty on high. And he is the exact representation of him. He is is, uh, the express image 
of his person, another translation says. And so when he came to us, he came as God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so it was that the angel appeared to uh, Joseph. When Joseph found out that his wife, uh, his, his engaged, his betrothed, was with child, he thought, well, that ends that. Uh, that's not the way this was supposed to go. But an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. Well, I think most fellows would be probably a little afraid to take her after, after that, that she's with somebody else's child. He, the angel said, don't be afraid. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, quoting Isaiah 7, Behold, a virgin will be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So many Hebrew children were named in this fashion, named something of spiritual significance. And in most cases, it was a, a, a statement of aspiration or a statement of confidence that, in this case, God is with us. And if you're part of the, God's people, the Old Testament, uh, well, God was with you, right? But this, when we say God with us, in the case of Jesus, it's a whole different level in it. Because here is very God in the form of man. And he offered us the way of salvation, the way of, uh, of escape of this world, and, and the way of uh, reconciliation and fullness and for now and eternity to the Father. And so that it says, Jesus says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, he was with the Father. He was uh, the same as the Father in so many uh, ways, of, in all the ways of deity. And so he says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him, and you've seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I have said to you, I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. He said, I know I'm making a big claim. <laughs> Even to the apostles, he says, if you can't handle all of this that I'm saying right now, then know that I'm a miracle worker. And what was it Nicodemus said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? We know that you have to be with God or you couldn't do the things you do. What did the blind man say in John 9? He says that, you know, that uh, it's never been heard of anybody heal the blind. Uh, but this man does it, so he must be with God. And so here's Jesus with God. And the miracles certainly prove that. But Jesus is saying so much more than that. And it might be hard for them to grasp, even for the apostles at the time. 
But Jesus said, I am so connected to the Father, the one that I was with before, and the one to whom I'm going to now, and in John 14, it wouldn't be that long, that here is Jesus, the one in whom we have confidence. And so when the, when the Father's will is done on heaven and earth, it's done through the same Jesus. The same Jesus that was there is the Jesus that was with us. Is the Jesus that went back. And the Jesus whom we greatly wish to join. And so, it's the same. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy will, he taught us to, to, or thy name, he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Well, it's the same Jesus here and there taking good care of us. And it's the same kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that he brought to earth. Now, yes, there's obviously a sense of the kingdom that we can't be in yet because we're here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I say this, brethren, Paul said, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God or the perishable, the imperishable. So there's a sense of the kingdom of God we can't get to in this body. We just can't. We can prepare ourselves for entrance to that kingdom and we'll be one day, if faithful in him, risen to enjoy it and have all the joys of the master. But in this body, we can't have it. But there is a thing which we have already, which is an entrance to the kingdom. And this is the thing that confuses folks from time to time. Because the... Bible, Apostle Paul particularly, but the Bible talks about having something now and not yet. So we have it now, but we also don't have it yet. And so there's a sense in which we're in the kingdom, but isn't there another sense in which we're not? There's a sense in which we have forgiveness of sins, and there's a sense in which we have salvation, but there's another sense in which we don't have that fully yet. And so here, there is a part of the kingdom that's not yet. But that kingdom is an extension of, or a piece of, a part of the kingdom that we do have now. Because we've been called from heaven to heaven, and we have relationship in that kingdom already. Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. That's a good thing to always do. Consider Jesus, the apostle and I, priest of our faith. But there it's brethren, you're, you're holy brethren. You have partaken of a heavenly calling. Jesus, as he sent out the apostle, said, as the Father sent me, I send you. And so uh, the apostle's work originates from the Father in this kingdom and goes through Jesus. And the Spirit, Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. And so who's calling us to come? Well, the Spirit and the church is bride. And so the Father is sending. Jesus is sending. The Spirit is sending and calling. And so this is all of heaven. None of this church is of earth. And to the degree that it is, that's something that needs to be corrected. And so there's a kingdom that we we can't really fully have yet, 
Yet we've all been called from heaven in, in that kingdom and to that kingdom and through that kingdom. And so Jesus could talk about the kingdom being yours and the kingdom being in your midst, even at the same time as he told them to pray that the kingdom come. Well, why would they pray for something that's already there? And some people say, well, why would I pray for this if it's already come? And both of those are an unfortunate oversimplification of the case. Of it's something that we have now, but in another sense, don't have yet. And so, uh, the kingdom, even as Jesus told him to pray for it to come, he already said it's yours. Luke 6.20, which is parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. And with the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The poor had the kingdom of heaven already, even as Jesus was speaking. And he also would say, Luke 17, 20, it says, being questioned by the Pharisees, as to when the kingdom of God was coming. So they had that same kind of question that we sometimes ask, what date did the kingdom come on? Well, uh, the kingdom was already there. Uh, he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. And, and how many people, and, and I know brethren who answer the question of, when did the kingdom come? And they say, see, it came with this sign. And they'll mention a miracle, particularly Acts 2. But Jesus said, no, the kingdom is not coming with a sign to be observed. He said, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is in your midst. So there is a sense of kingdom coming. And Jesus would say the kingdom will come with power. There's a sense in which the kingdom came with power at Pentecost. It came with powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit. It came with the, uh, the, fir- the first time the fullness of the gospel is preached in the name of Jesus. After his resurrection to the multitudes and they were baptized who responded to it. But that's not the day the kingdom started. The kingdom had already been there. Where was it? It was in them. And the poor, Jesus said, already had it. See, that's that part of the, it's here, but it's not yet. It's, 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 it's not yet, and it is, it is here. So we got both now and not yet happening at the same time because we have different levels of things working. And so that's how we have the kingdom of God on earth today when in another sense it talks about the kingdom coming uh, when heaven comes. We're in the kingdom now, but there's still, Peter says, an interest to the eternal kingdom that will be abundantly supplied to you. And so it's the same kingdom through and through, but it just becomes more evident and more obvious and a fuller fulfillment as time goes on. So we have a fuller fulfillment of the kingdom in the church than they did in the days of the law. Yet there was still a kingdom of God through that time, was there not? There was. So the kingdom of God becomes more evident and more obvious. It comes to a fuller extent. And so they were to say, even though the kingdom of God was already among them and the poor were already, already had the kingdom of God, they were still to pray for it to come. And now, even though we've seen it come with power and come in the church, I think we, should, we can and could and should still say, thy kingdom come. Because there's still more of the kingdom to come, isn't there? And we should look for and hasten that day and we should rejoice and be glad as we see it from afar off, but always getting closer to us. because. This kingdom 
is the same kingdom of God. And uh, whether it's on heaven or on earth, and these are uniting closer and closer all the time as we go, and we should pray that his will be done in both and all of them to the fullness uh, extent possible. Just as Jesus said during his ministry, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come on you. So even in the, in the time of the Gospels, there was a past tense sense of the kingdom having come. But there's also a future tense part of the kingdom coming, which would have been Pentecost. And even though we now have had Pentecost behind us, what's still in front of us? Another coming of the kingdom. Another stage and fulfillment of the kingdom coming. And so what should we do? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things be added to you. We can seek his kingdom, realizing that that can have eternal rewards. We can seek his kingdom now because that kingdom will be here forever. It'll come in newness of power and fullness, but it's still the same kingdom. And that same kingdom on heaven and on earth now, as it has always been, that will come with, we pray and hope, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we get to the fullest expression of the kingdom, the kingdom of the, full of all the redeemed of all ages in Christ, in heaven for eternity, what's that going to be like? Well, there'll be no sin there. There'll be righteousness. There'll be no conflict there. There'll be peace. And there'll be no sorrow there, and God will wipe every tear from their eye, and there'll be what? There'll be joy, inexpressible joy. Well, what should we have now? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We should have that now, even though more of it's coming, because I, I do have to say, as much as we do have, and I, I have and have been able to participate in, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in this life, I, I sure hope for some more. And don't you? To the degree you've been a participant of righteousness and a participant in peace and had the, the gift and then the, the fruit of the spirit of joy in your life, don't you hope there's more of all these coming? Or do you think this is all there is? No, but they are here, aren't they? Are they here? Yes. Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit are here now. But we also hope there's more coming. And because it's the same kingdom on heaven and earth, it will and it can be. In Romans 14, it says this in verse 15, talking about being at peace. Because one thing about the early church, they, they, they had a little different question than we always do. It, through, the, through the New Testament, you find the, the members are always having some arguments and discussions and concerns. It's about food and about fellowship. What do you eat and who do you eat it with? Isn't that the background of a number of Bible texts? It's food and fellowship. What do you eat? Are there any dietary restrictions? And who do you eat it with? Are there any restrictions of people? So it's, it's food and fellowship is, is their concern. But notice what Paul says about that. If because of food your brother's hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. See, because some people got real touchy and real upset. And, and extrapolate a lot of things based off what you ate and who you ate it with. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. So they thought it was about the food 
and fellowship. Who do, who do you, what do you eat and who do you eat it with? Kingdom is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of by men. So then let us pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And so in these big arguments about food and fellowship, uh, Paul was much more for promoting the things of fellowship, right? The things that make for peace than these things about these things about food. And so what we have here is this peace of Christ, right? Make the thing, do the, pursue what makes peace and building up. And Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So don't be troubled, don't be afraid, have confidence in Christ. And in that, have these things that the kingdom is really all about. The kingdom now and the kingdom then is really about righteousness, about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then our third and final point of comparison of things the same on earth and heaven as, as on earth as in heaven, a same spirit, uh, not the same Holy Spirit, I, that would be a point too, but I mean the, the same attitude the same spirit of mind, the same qualities which enliven us and and should mark out our character, the spirit that is within us, pursuing again these things we just read of righteousness, joy, and peace, we should find in 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 the kingdom here and then, as it was before and is now and will be, forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. These are the points that the gospel brings. This is what the gospel is about. This is why it's not about the food. This is why it's not about those things. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, in 2 Corinthians 5, we find out what the King of Peace, Jesus Christ, has left us as those made new in Him. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed us to the word of reconciliation. Therefore we, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. So this is the ministry of reconciliation. We be reconciled through Christ to God. The old things, the old ways, the sinful things, the divisive things, the unrighteous things, the things we need to be forgiven of, the things that brought separation, because what Isaiah said, your iniquities have caused separation between you and God. These are the things of the past. And these are the things now that have been uh, written off. They've been forgiven. They've been covered in the blood of the Lamb. They're not counted, not counting their trespasses against them. So you can't have any hope of reconciliation while one or either party remembers all the things that was done wrong. Remember and cite chapter and verse of all of the 
uh, trespasses, all the, uh, the, all the slights, all the, all the oversights, all the wrongs and, and, and uh, omission and commission that were ever done. If, if one of the parties is remembering that all the time, well, where can there be reconciliation? So when a mediator comes and tries to reconcile parties, they try to say, what's the big ones that we have to deal with and what's the ones that can be let go? Well, in this case, I might like to say all my sins, God just let them go. And he's like, well, hold on, but you sinned and I'm a holy God. But he says, you know what, I will do that because I'll have them paid for, I'll have them accounted for in Christ Jesus. And so he can let go of my trespasses that I, though he's a holy God and I've committed against him. What David say against thee and thee alone have I sinned? All the things we've done against him, he can let go, uh, not counting them against us, because Christ has accounted for them already, and now we can be new, and now we can be forgiven. Now we can have some healing, and now we can go forward. Now we can be reconciled. But if we don't deal with those through Christ, or if Christ having forgiven us, but then we remembering and living in these things, uh, always uh, and forever and, and not being able to trust that he's done this, th- there won't be a reconciliation. There won't be a relationship. But he's made for peace and he, uh, he offers reconciliation. And, and it's interesting here, even though, even though he's the aggrieved party, even though he's the one sinned against, that he's the one who offers through Christ the reconciliation. And so that if we're his people... We can deal with these things quickly and easily. They don't have to fester. And we don't need a lifetime of them anymore to build up. And uh, like the decades of sin before we came to Christ. And we had this great log jam of things to deal with and to pull through. Instead, now in Christ, they can be taken care of uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, when it's small and when it's simple. Before it clogs the whole thing up. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so if we're in him. We can have complete. And regular forgiveness. Of all sin. And all unrighteousness. It says here it mentions confession. Well what kind of heart confesses sin. Generally the repentant heart. The faithful heart. Not the proud heart. Because the proud heart doesn't confess right. Ever tried to get a proud guy to confess to something. That uh, uh, spoke well or spoke poor about him. Put him in a bad light. He's going to deny it all day long. We have to confess our sins as we confess our dependence on Christ. So having been forgiven, reconciled to God, in this way healed of our iniquity, we can then find with others who have so so, uh, likewise been restored to God, uh, we can find a place of unity and a place of acceptance. And this is not an accidental thing. This is purposeful by design. And we, don't, we shouldn't take it lightly, but we think about the great blessing that the salvation in Christ goes to people of every tribe and tongue uh, of every nation. Well, how well do people from other nations usually get along with one another? Especially in large groups. Large groups of one country versus large groups of another. Uh, we, we celebrate the Olympics, which are happening right now, because it's one of those few times when people from all over the world can get together in relative harmony. Yet, how much controversy is there, even in the Olympics? Uh, there's those who uh, 
you know, they, they, they cheat or they, they, uh, they do things the other side thinks is unsporting and, and, uh, uh, and uh, things that they think should disqualify them. Then if they do disqualify anybody, it's an international incident. And on it goes. Or remember a few years ago when the Russians, they hosted the Olympics. And somehow they won 40% more medals than normal in the Olympics that they hosted. And it turns out they were doping large numbers of their athletes. But they had a testing lab. They had a testing lab where there's samples of, of their blood and other things got tested of all the athletes. Well, the Russians built the building where the testing lab was. And the doors locked securely on it. But it turns out there was an opening in the wall where they could pass things through the wall in order to get clean samples put in for their athletes. And so when it comes to people of every tribe and tongue and nation, do we have unity and acceptance as a matter of course? No. We have conflict. And that's why uh, no matter what the thing that divides and, and nationality or ethnicity or age or socioeconomic status or just what sport team you root for, causes conflict, doesn't it? And so in this kingdom, on, in heaven, there's total acceptance and there's total unity. And on, in this kingdom on earth, then we work for that now and we, we strive for that now. Romans 15, 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you the same mind with one another in Christ Jesus. That with one accord, with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as God has also accepted us, or Christ has accepted us, to the glory of God. And so we all want, with one accord, with one voice, to glorify the Father. The picture of, Romans 20, of Revelation 22, the throne scene in, in the victory, uh, after life is done, everybody there in the plaza in front of the throne of God in the city of heaven, everybody there can praise God together with the same voice. Well, what should we start doing now? With the same voice, we all glorify God. Well, how do we do that? How can we do that together? Accept one another. And so as it is in heaven, it should be an earth of accepting one another. In Luke 15, uh, there's a story of the lady who lost her coin. And when she found her coin, uh, she, after sweeping the house and doing all the things, she says to her neighbors, her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. And Jesus said, in the same way I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So all the angels can rejoice over a sinner repenting. Jesus also told the story of the lost sheep. And there's, there's rejoicing with the angels of heaven that a lost sheep is found. So after talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin in Luke 15, Jesus also talked about the lost brother. And when the lost brother was found, did everybody rejoice? His brother didn't. And that's the lesson for us, that we should, we should love restoration. Uh, we should love people coming back uh, to be uh, with uh, the father. Uh, we should not be like that older brother who became, it says Luke 15, 28, became angry and was not willing to go in. There's some about the kingdom of heaven on this earth, they, they get angry and don't want to go in because another person is there. 
And they don't think that other person should have been accepted um, based on this or that, based on either the vile things that they've done or the terrible things that they used to have said or, or some other circumstance or situation. And it's just terrible. But on, in heaven and earth, there should be acceptance for all in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They should, there should be a one mind praising the Father because we've all been saved by the same Savior. And so it is that this is an example of love, a love that should be here on earth now and then will be with us forevermore. In 1 John 4, we read from verse 17, By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Well, that's a different way to say it entirely, but isn't that saying, on earth as is in heaven? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So everything that we're looking forward to and want in eternity, we should start doing that now. So verse 18 continues. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because God first loved us. And so John says, let's move on the, uh, from the idea of, I, I, I'm going to not do this so I won't get punished. All right, there's a time in our moral development when we should have that. There's a time when, uh, you know, especially uh, when we were young, uh, that we understood the main reason that keeps us doing, from doing this is we don't want to get punished. But we should move beyond that to a higher level, a higher level of internalization of this, of love, that we are perfected in love. It's not that we fear punishment, but that we love our Father so much we want to be conformed to Him. We want to be with Him and like Him, and we want to spend eternity with Him. Now, yeah, still, if, if you fall from that, there's a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. But the terrifying expectation of judgment is a terrible way to live your daily life whether you're going to be lost or whether you're going to be saved. And so better to live in the perfection of love. And we love because he first loved us, because he is love. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. The one who doesn't love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has seen. This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Why? As on heaven, so on earth. God loves that brother. So guess what? You love that brother. And so all the things that are really important in the kingdom to come and all the things we look forward to in heaven, we should see foretastes of that. We should see uh, striving for that and we should see development of those things on earth now so that his will is truly done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.